didn't have the perfect life, right? You know, right. there's things in my life that was extremely challenging from fatherless, motherless home to my grandmother raising me to dealing with poverty at certain times to abuse, to all types of things. Mm-hmm. And um, you sometimes can look at that as a crutch. Mm-hmm. You can look at that as that's my identity. Or you can find yourself um, and say, this is just my story and what am I going to do with it? Welcome back to the Let's Evolve for Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone, and we help aspiring new and existing entrepreneurs excel to the next level by inviting other aspiring new and existing entrepreneurs to the podcast to give knowledge, gems, and golden nuggets on how to get to the next level. So without further ado, we have a very special guest, like a brother to me, a best friend to me. We go way back. This guy has... Did some amazing things over the last 30 years. I can't even name all of them because it's too much to name. But I can say this for sure. He's definitely won six Emmys and he's been nominated over 20 times. He's a phenomenal film director and there's a lot more behind that story. So without further ado and not without me rambling, because as you can see, I have a hoarse voice today, but we're going to get through this. We're going to push through. <laughs> But without further ado, I want to introduce Dinell Phipps with Born to DP Films. Dinell, if you don't mind, if you could just give us an introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself. First, want to say, man, um, I commend you for this. This is amazing. Anytime I see a fellow entrepreneur um, taking that risk, um, I commend them because it's difficult. It's hard. It's hard to get past the fear. So um, just thank you for putting having me on this show. I know that this is going to do great things. I've already saw some of the episodes and listened to them. You're doing a great job out here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay. So, um, you know, with me, um, you know, I've been in film for 20, 25 years. It was a gift that I feel like God gave me. Um, there's one thing to pick up a ball. It's one thing for me to be able to run fast. But it's something about God allowing me to be Michael Jordan in this industry, I always say. It was something that just came very, very easy to me. So, you know, off the reps, I've had the opportunity as of late, just most recent, to help, you know, produce um, – and direct Tasha Cobb's latest project, which is Hymns. It just won a Dove Award. It was nominated for a Grammy. Um, I've worked very closely with Travis Green on his last album called Oil and Water. Um, I just finished up uh, the pre-tale with the Dove Awards. Um, also got a chance to spend some time with a lot of fellow people that I work with there. Um, I have tons of things in the works. Um, I'm an author now. Got, got some really fun things coming out with that. The book is being extended. Um, and some other content creative things that I'm really doing out there. So I'm really excited about this next chapter of me in the film world. Okay. Wow. So you threw some really big names out there. Nah, they just good people, man. They just good people. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the book a little bit more. So tell us a little bit about Little D. All right. So, um, you know, what's funny. I don't know how detailed you want me to get. We can be here for four hours. So <laughs> I can just go. Okay. But um, I never inspired to write a book. Okay. Never. Um, I'm a person that truly believes in, um, I've always thought this when I was younger, if I think it, I should create it. So even when I felt like I was in the wrong lane, even if I had something on my mind, I would always stop and do that, not knowing what's coming out of it. And um, this book was a gift, man. It was a gift from the man upstairs. I truly believe that because it was nothing that I thought of ever. And um, I went to sleep and I just remember having this dream. And these words kept coming out of it the entire time. It was called, I need a me tour. So I woke up that next morning and I wrote the entire story, wrote the entire book, 
I had no idea what I was going to do with the book. I had no idea what to do with the manuscript. I knew no illustrators. I'm in TV and film, bro. I don't do publishing. No desire. (laughs) Never had a desire. Wanted to own some people's book rights to shoot their movie, but not necessarily owning my own. And um, what came out of that story was something amazing. It was a blessing. And I remember right after I wrote the manuscript um i was filming for the bloomberg network and they sent me off and i met this lady who had just published a book mm-hmm. and uh so i asked her you know we got done with the shoot i said hey, you mind me asking so how did you get your book going she was like so how far are you into i was like look i woke up wrote a script right, right. or a manuscript <laughs> and uh sent it off to the writer's guild to get copyrighted and that's about all i knew and she was like, what is the story about? And I kind of told her it was all about mentorship and this and this and that. And and she was like, are you serious? And she gave me the number to a literary agent. Okay. And uh, from there, I touched base with the literary agent. They thought that um, the story was really good. Then COVID hit. Ah, uh, okay. Yep, COVID hits and uh, they tabled it. Gotcha. So that February, March of uh, 2020, it all got shut down. And I just remember seven months into COVID, uh, right Right from the time I wrote the manuscript to that seventh month, I heard God tell me, like, I need you to move on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know <laughs> how <laughs> or right. what I'm supposed to do with a book. Right. And so what I did was I had some old children's books for my kids at the house, and I laid them all out on the floor, and I started looking at what I like and got to know some of the illustrators, and I started reaching out to them on Instagram and, you know, trying to call around. And it was like, hey, we're tied to a literary agent already or a publishing company. We can't work with you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. So, but I knew that with me, everything has to be done with a spirit of excellence and mm-hmm. have a certain type of quality before mm-hmm. I even attach myself or move forward. I, like, overanalyze. I overcreate. Right. And, um Things can't be perfect. Perfection is not possible, but you can get dang near close. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was from there, I started getting on these forums, trying to find out who's out there, some untapped, some untapped um, resources. And I found this guy in Seattle and I sent him my um, manuscript mm-hmm. and he he hit me back and was like, I have to work on this book. A mentor changed his life. And I was like, Wow. So I knew I had something there. So how long did the whole project take? <sighs> once it got you? going, yeah. once it got going and I figured out pretty much um, the money part okay. between me trying to stick with a literary agent or creating my own publishing company. And I found out the money was pretty close. Okay. And it wasn't as much as I thought it would be for me to, to fund it myself. Right. And I was like, you know something? And the guy on the phone was like, look, I'll help you get through this. I've done tons of books okay he was like this is this this is this i'm like are you sure found a distribution agent so between that whole cycle and finding a editor focus groups to make sure the book was right um you know all that good stuff it took maybe a year okay yeah it took maybe a year and so it was, you did like a few book tours after that right um i've did some of everything so okay. um i went from the book coming out to uh, a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And then from there, the book going into this whole school purchasing. From there, um, I just had two recent um, at an African arts festival and also a gospel festival where I just kind of sat in the back. And, you know, the thing about me or the thing about my creativity, I don't always have to be front runner, right? right? I think sometimes, especially with a book like this, and as we continue to go through life, we don't always there's different seasons for different things. Uh So in this season of my life, it's more touch, touch more, um, 
firsthand, more grassroots where, you know, I get to know the people who are reading my books. I get to talk to them. I get to explain stuff. So I'm really excited about that new journey. Okay. So what actually inspired you to write Little D? Well, I've always been a writer, right? <clears throat> okay. Like I've always been a writer. I just remember um, when I was in high school, um, I, my ninth and 10th grade was not my best, right? Okay. You know, I think I set records for skipping school. I right. think you were there with me. <laughs> You know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, we'll take that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I just wasn't fully focused. Right, right. Um, it was still a very important time in my life that taught me a lot. But when I went to this a secondary high school called Bridgeport High School, because I attended Saginaw High first. Right. It, um, it was this teacher there. His name was Mr. Resler. Mm-hmm. And um, I always feel like there's people in your life that that are only supposed to be there to transition you into your next phase of your life. Right. So Mr. Resler was a person that, even though grammatically I wasn't correct, um, he said that I had something that most people don't. Mm-hmm. He said, you write with so much style, and that's a gift. Okay. So he said, you can pay people. You can literally pay people mm-hmm. to fix your punctuation. Right. And your grammar. Okay. But what they can't do is write the way you write. Right. So always write. And I just remembered that. And I've been a writer ever since. So I write commercials. I write movies. I write, you know, short films. I write some of everything. And so when it was coming to write this book, you know, the words just came out. Okay. So I know in the beginning I mentioned you had six Emmys. You have six, right? Yeah, I have six. Nominated over 20 times. Like, where does that even come from? How does it feel Bro. to have, like... For me personally, Bro. I've only seen an Emmy on TV. Like, Bro. I know you've had them, but this is my first Bro. time actually seeing them in person. So what did you do when your name was called for the very first time? Well, we can go back a little bit further. Okay. So I'm from Saginaw, Michigan. I grew up humble beginnings. Okay. Um, you know, taught to work extremely hard, but um, didn't have the perfect life, right? You know, right. there's things in my life that was extremely challenging from fatherless, motherless home to my grandmother raising me to dealing with poverty at certain times to abuse, to all types of things. Mm-hmm. And um, you sometimes can look at that as a crutch. Mm-hmm. You can look at that as that's my identity. Or you can find yourself um, and say, this is just my story and what am I going to do with it? Right. So... In 2005, I made a huge leap of faith, and I moved to Columbus, Ohio. And um, I was previously working for news stations locally. God transitioned me out of sports into into um, this media field. And when I got to Columbus, I was scared. I didn't know. I didn't speak well. Like, I was in an environment I was not used to. Okay. And uh, I just remember in 2005, walking in the newsroom. This is after a lot of sweat and tears, a lot of like hardships, a lot of loneliness because I was here by myself. And just remembering um, the moment when I walked in the newsroom and they said, Dinell, I said, yeah. They said, did you check the board? Mm-hmm. I said, what are you talking about? I walked over there and I got nominated for my first Emmy in 2005. And what that showed me is that I belong. So I know that wins are important, but that day and that moment showed me like I belong here. Exactly. I belong in this field. It doesn't matter if I have a degree. I don't have a degree. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if I have this background or that background. Like I belong and I need to start just stepping up and showing that stop taking a back seat. 
I belong here. And um, from there, 2008, I won my my first. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they always go back a year. Okay. So my I won in 2009, but mm-hmm. the Emmy was for work in 2008. And then from there, it just kept going, man. And um, it was amazing. And when I won my first, when I was actually at the ceremony, because mm-hmm. in 2009, which is funny, I was actually at my class reunion. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I found okay. out um, through Saginaw, a phone call. Right? In Saginaw. Okay. And I found out... Um, I won that night and it was crazy because I was around amongst the people, my hometown, my people. Exactly. And just to be able to say, hey, bro, I want an Emmy. And when I found out I was at home, come on, that was one heck of a bookmark. Right. Yeah. So then when I actually won, it was crazy. When I won, um, it was in, huh, man, these dates. Don't hold me to all these <laughs> no, dates. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> but I do remember the moment when I walked up there. Okay. I do remember the moment Are I walked you nervous? up. I won't say I was nervous. It was surreal, though. Okay. So I couldn't remember. So. And but I didn't know. So so to to answer your question, uh, right? So I didn't know I was in the moment. I had no clue. Okay. They was like, and Emmy goes to Denell Phipps, and I'm like, Did you hesitate, bro? <laughs> I knew it was me because they was like D. I was like, I won. Right, right, right. <laughs> they saw that D E apostrophe. They ain't know what to do with it. <laughs> they was like, I was like. Yep, I won. So right. I walk up there. I still can't remember really what I said. Uh-huh. And when I remember walking out, I had took a picture. And they take a picture as soon as you come off stage, and they have your Emmy in a box. So mm-hmm. the one they give you on stage is a dummy Emmy. Okay. So you walk out. You, you grab it. You got all this media. So you go basically from the Emmy stage with all these people applauding you. Then you leave. You go down the steps mm-hmm. and then you're behind the stage and they're like, all right, you ready? Okay, wait, you got photographs. You got all these pictures and everybody's just like, click, 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 click. And I'm like, yeah. click, 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 click. Right. I don't know how to take a picture. So I'm like, because I'm happy, right? Like, right. dude. Right. So this is what got me. This is basically <laughs> like <laughs> when Facebook, this had to be what, 2012, 20, I can't remember. Um, but I remember being on Facebook and I get the picture yeah. that they emailed me really quick. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my media and all that. And I get there and I'm like, bro, I want an Emmy. Like, like I'm here. I just said a speech. So I posted it on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I remember not being able to log back into Facebook. That's how many likes and shares it got. Wow. And that was the moment I was like, I think I just did something different. Yeah. So, man, wow. One thing I want to do, though, obviously, I know the story, but for our listeners, they have to hear. Let's peel back the layers a little bit more. So you talked about being in sports. How did you even get into film in the first place? Dude, so I know I'm only 5'10 with (laughs) Nikes on. You know, I stretch my neck. But but, um, I love basketball since I was age two. I also ran track. You know, I was all state in Michigan in track and um basketball didn't turn out the way I wanted it to but you know I had a love for it I grew up with some amazing amazing athletes Mm -hmm. so it didn't mean that I couldn't hoop it's just them dudes was crazy amazing like I had a bunch of friends that went pro Mm -hmm. so um while I was playing basketball um I got this phenomenal opportunity man at the church and um I credit my grandmother um she's still alive kudos to her you know she's 95 and um I used to talk too much in church Chirp, 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 chirp. And you probably was there. Actually, you were there. I was there. When I was cracking <laughs> all the jokes in the choir stand, and my grandmother would 
be so mad at me after church. She'd be like, as soon as y'all get done singing, all he doing is talking and cracking jokes while everybody trying to listen in church. And um, so she asked one of the deacons in the church to give me something else to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember they put me on the media team. How old were you at this time? 13. Okay. Yeah, I was 13. And that's when I touched my first camera. Okay. And uh, that I remember. Okay. But my mom actually told me that the reason I'm not in a lot of pictures growing up is because I was the one taking the pictures. Mm. Mm. So it started earlier than 13. Yep. Okay. So I was always there. I okay. always had a camera in my hand. And um, there was a guy named, at the church. It was two. Um, actually, it was three. One was Elmer, Deacon Ellsworth. It was uh, Toronto Snowden. And then um, who ended up still being my mentor today and really close friend and, you know, uncle, brother. You know, he's actually featured in the book as well. Okay. Michael Hankins. Okay. Yeah, who stuck like. with me. Yeah, he stuck with me forever. And he's the one who took me to the local TV station that was in the middle of the gutter. Okay. Like in the middle of the hood of the east side of Saginaw. And I just remember going into work with him one day. And I'm like, this is in the middle of the environment where I see so much death. I see so many drugs. I see so many gangs. I see so much brokenness, broken homes, fatherless homes, motherless homes. And you're still 13 at this time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And he took me in there and it just changed my life. And uh, I saw that there was something different. And then I saw someone who looked like me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Amongst this environment that I wasn't involved in. Right. And it, um, it sparked something. I didn't know that it was going to spark what it sparked. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows at 13, 14, we're still yeah. trying to chase girls and hoop, bro. Exactly. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely was just one of those things where it, um, it's, it put something there. And that was one of those transitional moments I was telling you about. Right. Like, um, there was a transitional moment in my life that sparked everything else that happened after so how did you stick with it, right? You, you know, you stuck with one thing forever. I can remember all of us hanging together. I had 12 different jobs, you know, over the course of two years, three years. But you literally stuck with the exact same thing for pretty much your entire life. How did you have so much willpower and so much determination to just stick with that one thing? Well, I've always been like this. So I'm a person that doesn't like... I don't believe in a plan B. I don't like option B. I think option B is not a real option. I think it's settling. So for me in life, it was always about um, having discipline in the things that I like. And whatever kind of comes out of it just comes out of it. But um, what I see for myself, I put that pressure on myself to only see myself a certain way. I don't put that on anybody else. I don't say, hey, look. I need you to believe in me to help me get there. I need you to do this. I don't chase things. Um, I just, I always saw myself as a film, movie, director, film producer. And anything outside of that just doesn't work for me. So you saw yourself as a film producer at 13? I saw myself not at 13. Okay. I still wanted to go to the NBA. Gotcha. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> still wanted to play ball. Okay. But the more I fell in love with TV, um, not knowing that's what I was doing. Okay. But the discipline was there because I remember at 13, and this is a very important story. So when I say Michael Hankins was really important, and this was a transitional moment for me, Michael Hankins said to me, he said, in in the church, and this is in 1993, 94. Mm -hmm. So he was like, 
it was a two camera setup to have two cameras at a predominantly black church in the middle of a inner city. Mm-hmm. It was like unheard of. Mm-hmm. So we had two cameras mm-hmm. and I remember the camera on the floor level being the creative camera. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you can't work that camera yet. And I remember that telling him I'm going to run this whole room one day. And by the time I was 16, I actually was running the room and um, doing all the, uh, doing all the editing and everything for it to be on television each week. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about some of like the milestones, right? Mm-hmm. Leading up to where you are now. So you started at 13. Mm-hmm. At 16, you're running all of the, the video yep. room and the whole team. So what was the next step after that? Um, the next step for me was uh, TCT Network. Okay. So I started putting myself out there. So TCT is just like um, TBN. It was a Christian network. They had a show called Ask the Pastor. And they would always ask volunteers to come through. So even when I was running the streets, I was in, you know, gangs and I was doing all that stuff, chasing girls, doing all that stuff, trying to hoop. When it was time to pick up a camera, I was there. Mm-hmm. And anytime I had an opportunity to do that, Wednesday night service, Tuesday night service, I was at the church doing it. And um, so that's where that discipline came. Because even when it was snow outside, even when it was um, cold, rainy, hot. I was still walking to practice. We ain't, you know, we ain't rides. We ain't no car. Right. You know, we got the hood bike. <laughs> if people don't know what the hood bike is, it's a bike that sits on the corner in the hood. You got to put it back. You just borrow the bike for the day. And at night, you put the bike back on the corner. And right. if someone else needs the bike. So I would borrow the hood bike right. on the corner of Ruckle and Ray Street. And I would go to practice and then I would come back. But I would use those same types of discipline with camera. Okay. And uh, and then um, what I was doing. So from there, that opened up the opportunity to uh, go to a place called SETV, which another transitional place um, that changed my life. So um, my 12th grade year of mm-hmm. high school, I went to something called the Career Complex or Saginaw Career Complex. And basically what that was was a vocational school for high schoolers. Okay. And what that also endeavored was they had all types of um, – all types of things there, automotive, you know, if you want to be a chef, if you want to do graphics, all this other things. There were classes for that, but they also had like a TV studio. And there was a guy by the name of Chris Frederick there who was another transitional person in my life that um, saw something in me. And I wasn't the best in the class, but that was like my next step. Mm-hmm. So while I was there, I got an opportunity to do something called exploratory experience where you go somewhere for a week okay, and um, you, you job shadow. So I went over to a local educational station. So think public access, but this was doper mm-hmm. and because I was a part of it. But um, no, it was a pretty amazing feat. <laughs> so I went over there for a week okay. and um, dude, it was crazy. I got an opportunity to uh, meet the people that worked there, the people that enjoyed it. And I got to touch equipment and it was like this real life type thing. So what happened from there was that... Um, I wasn't going anywhere for spring break. So I had my exploratory experience. And then my very next week, I had um, spring break. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going anywhere. So I said, hey, look, I don't need school credit. I don't need anything. Like, can I come back next week? He was like, are you serious? I said, yeah, can I come back next week? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I went for a whole nother week. Um, it was crazy. So did you well, have to pay for it? Mm-mm. Okay. No, no, no. It was part of like the program at okay. the Saginaw Career Complex. Gotcha. So I go there, and I'm um, in the midst of all that, which which was crazy, is that I I planted I planted a seed. 
So for everybody out there, and I don't want to be too preachy, but planting seeds in areas that you never knew you or doors that you open always leave something or a part of you in that room. Mm -hmm. Don't be forceful. Don't be overly. uh, I'm here. This is what I do. Just plant a seed, shake a hand, be a fly on the wall, be a good listener, be something that they can, that allows someone else to see something in you and be like, ah, remember that one dude? Yeah. So, when I was 18, because this was my senior year, mm-hmm. um, I ended up getting a girl pregnant. And um, that was life-changing. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, at that time, I was pretty good in track and had a couple schools looking at me. Um, I knew I wanted to play ball still, but that wasn't going well. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't know what to do. And me not having a dad, I was like, I got to be a father. I'm not going to be my dad. Right. So, so really quick before you tell that story. So let's go back, right? So uh-huh. you're saying 12th grade, right? You have this amazing experience, these opportunities. Mm-hmm. What about all the distractions, right? So you talked about being in the hood, playing ball, getting with girls. How did you just, how did you stay focused through all of that? Because I know being a teenager, all the peer pressure that comes along with being young, especially playing basketball, all the girls like you or want to be close to you or want to be around you. Don't forget our dance. How were you able to just say, hey. <laughs> My friends in the hood, hey, I need to push you guys to the side because I need to go pick this camera up. How did you push the girls to the side uh, to say I need to go pick this camera I, up? I found out what my safe places was, and I started dissecting who I was as a person and what didn't work for me. Okay. So when I went out to Bridgeport um, High School and I left Saginaw High, so for those who don't know, I grew up on a street where I had to walk four blocks around the corner, and basically that was my high school. So for me to let that go, and it was predominantly black, it was like 3,000 people in the school. I knew everybody. I was extremely popular. Uh, and to leave and then jump in a car and drive 15, 20 minutes every day to another school that was predominantly all white. I only knew a few people was was challenging. But some things that that school offered me that one the other school didn't was distractions. So I eliminated the distractions by going to something. And people don't know this. I always tell my kids this. But they had something called detention after school. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I would do is instead of coming back to my neighborhood, because my grandmother at this time had to be like 75. So, um You know, I was on autopilot some days Mm -hmm. and um, I would stay after school and do my homework in detention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did that all the time for like two years. Okay, so you decided to do that? I just, yeah. No, I decided. Okay. Yeah, because I knew if I went back to the hood, everything was going to happen. Yep. Everything okay. was going to happen, all the things. So at least I knew when I went back, my work was done. <laughs> right. So that helped with the homework. But, like, when it came to film, how, what did you do to get rid of the distractions then? Um, I had people. Okay. I had people. So the cool thing about life is if you pay attention, there's people that are always holding your hand. So I had enough people like Charles Hamilton, who was um, our youth pastor at the church, um, you know, a.k.a. dad, (laughs) 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 who um, took time out. And I remember Michael Hankins as well. So so Chuck, we call him Chuck, but Charles Hamilton would take us. Mm -hmm. Um, He would take me shopping with him. He would show me things. We would hang out at his house and just talk. I remember Michael Hankins just taking me to his house and do, he would just make a big pot of chili and we would listen to music. He'd be like, you ever heard of The Roots? I'm like, who The Roots?
Woo! Tell you, throw it on. And you, know, you ever heard of Curtis Mayfield? You ever heard of them? Man, this my. And he'll take albums out. Uh-huh. And by the time it was, you know, he was done, it'll be like ten o'clock at night. Time to go to the crib. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then the other thing, man, is prayer, bro. I remember um, at a very early age running the streets real bad, and um, prayer, man, it, it 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 helped me. It helped me. It helped eliminate some of those distractions. So you had positive distractions. Eliminate the negative distractions. Okay. Yeah, because they were still there. And the thing is about life is you're still going to life. Right. Life is going to life you, and you're still going to have to do life. Right. Um, And you're just going to make your bumps and bruises. But I always had people there, Dr. Renee. Um, from the church, just allowing me. He was um, he was a physician mm-hmm. from New York. He was from Haiti, and uh, he stepped in as a father figure as well with his kids and mm-hmm. took me in their home, let me spend a night in the township of Saginaw, where I was like, bro, right. what is this? <laughs> right. I couldn't even ride my bike in these neighborhoods. <laughs> change of pace. Yeah, yeah, but he would take me in, man, and they would just show me stuff, and they would cook. And um, I remember he would hold Bible study with his kids. Um, every time I would go over there and they would do that for an hour. So I'd have all these positive things mixed in with all these negative things and they would fight each other. Mm-hmm. But I started seeing that there's other people that live life different than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And even though I had dreams to be a dope dealer and I wanted a 5.0 with triple gold D's, bro. <laughs> Can I turn oh, yeah. them Emmys into Dayton's? <laughs> No, Man, but yeah, dude, that's still my favorite car today. What? Yes, absolutely. What when? Dude, bro, when GT5 he do what? Yeah, when absolutely. he came through that, he was like, <laughs> like, man, run that. We supposed to be brothers. <laughs> was like man we supposed to be brothers man don't don't get shot for nothing <laughs> man when Minister society came out it was like bro but yeah that was the dream right and and what people don't understand is and they look at that stuff as negativity but everybody wants to be successful at something mm-hmm. and it's in our dna a lot of us to be successful and if you look out through history through egyptian history a lot of african history and you look throughout just the world period so my dad was creole and uh, my mom's black. But if you look at all those traits, people always had a sense of wanting to be great. Right. So if the only thing around you is that, whether it was violence, whether it was negativity or whatever you want to call it, for us, it was life. Right. So now let's go back. I know you said you mentioned at 18 you had your first kid. I right? did. So that was another Bro. challenge for you. So how? So now you got challenge. the streets. I need, I, need a bigger, I, need a, I need a bigger word than challenge. No. <laughs> Now you got Break a kid out. on the way. Break that the Thor's out. Give me something different, bro. <laughs> traumatic? Yeah, let's go with traumatic. Okay. Yeah, it was a traumatic experience. I was scared. Okay. I was scared. Rightfully so. I, I was scared, and um, I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't have someone to sit there and tell me it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the way it happened was extremely... <clears throat> I remember going up to eastern Michigan on a visit and uh, being excited. And coming back, and this is back in the day where, you know, in 99, where you had two house phones. Right. So the kids had a house phone and the moms had a house phone. Exactly. So I just remember my grandmother picking up the phone and a young lady on the phone and saying to her that I got her pregnant. So 
Okay, so I'm assuming when you went to Eastern, that's when you met someone and got her pregnant. Is that what no, you're no, oh, no, no. Okay. I never made it to Eastern Michigan. This was high school. Oh, yeah, okay. this is high school. Yeah, got you. Yeah, so never, you got an acceptance letter to Eastern. I went on a visit. Okay, got gotcha. you. To tour the school, tour all the facilities, all that good stuff. So when you said a visit, I'm thinking you went there to visit her. No, oh, no, okay. no. I visited a lot, but it wasn't her. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Nah, so I sat there and um, went on a visit. And I just remember how the dream of college started being something um, tangible. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was, you know, on this opportunity. And I remember my crotch and my grandmother take it all in, bro. Mm -hmm. She took it all in. And uh, we both were excited. And when we got back home. That's when you got the call. That's when we got the call. Mm -hmm. Yes. The call was the call. Right. You could have had sound effects, a music score, doom, 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 <laughs> footsteps. So so what did you do? Like, I mean, the fact that you you have this promising career, right, from 13 to 18, you're making all of this progress. Then you get the call. You get, you get accepted to Eastern. Now, Not fully accepted. Just it was on a visit because um, uh-huh. I went up there because they were looking at me for track as well. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Yep. So it comes to a screeching halt mm-hmm. because you get this phone call. Mm-hmm. So obviously you didn't drop film. So how did you balance the two? Dude, I wish I could tell you it was me. Okay. And I know I sound very cliche, but it was all God, bro. Okay. Um, I like, was at a loss. At I, the time, did you know it was God? Absolutely. Okay. Because I was scrambling. Mm-hmm. And I remember, if you remember, <clears throat> but the girl gets pregnant. Uh-huh. I graduate high school. I don't know what to do. I know I got this baby coming. Mm-hmm. I know I don't have a father, so I'm sticking around. Mm-hmm. And you were working at Walmart, remember? Mm-hmm. The automotive section yep. at Walmart. Yep. And I tried my hardest to get a job. At Walmart with you because they pay $7 an hour. Yeah. And I thought that was going to fix all my problems. Right. And what happened was, is the exact opposite. Okay. Remember I told you I got that exploratory experience um, at school? Yeah. That job? Yeah. They remembered me and a position got open. Mm. So they called my grandmother's house. Okay. And they said, hey. No, I'm just saying, just listening to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's all right. You want to grab it? It's cool. Sorry. No, no, no. It's all right. I put it on Do Not Disturb. It hurt us talking. No, don't worry about that. Sorry. Okay, let's try that again. Yeah, go for it. All right, so I'm sitting here, and, bro, when I tell you it was all God, it mm. was all God. Right. I was sitting here, and um, my grandmother gets a phone call mm. from... Sag- from the place I went to while I was at the Saginaw Career Complex uh-huh. that I stayed that extra week. Right. They end up having a kid leave and they had a job opening. So you're still 18 at this time? hmm Okay. And they call and they say, hey, look, we have this uh, job offer if you want it. Mm-hmm. And it paid exactly, I don't think it was exactly, but it was pretty close, but it was in TV. Right. And that's kind of how I got my full first job in television. Okay. So that's definitely a, a key challenge you had to overcome. But So I want to fast forward a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Let's think about the last 
we'll say the last 10 years. Yes. What's one of the key challenges you had to overcome? Like that one that just really stands out in your mind. Like, man, I can't believe I made it through that. Outside of life? When I mean, in life's? Life. You could talk about personal. I mean, the talk about both. The, the personal one, and the professional side. Trying to navigate. the Probably the hardest thing for me to do and still continue to be successful and determined discipline is navigate when life lifes. Right. Um, there's always going to be challenges, right? right? Like there's always going to be things not going right. You'll never have enough money. You'll mm -hmm. never have enough this. You'll never have enough that. Um, doors are shutting. Rejection. You don't know if you're good enough. TV is very cold-blooded, mm -hmm. um, very cutthroat. Okay. And um, for me to be able to withstand hurt mm -hmm. is probably one of the biggest challenges that I've probably had. And I'm not probably the first or the last that will say oh, yeah. that in, right. in the TV film film industry is um, just overcoming self-sabotization. I guess I'll call it that. Okay. Self-sabotaging yourself because what happens is, mm -hmm. and I'll explain it. Okay. And then I'll let you talk. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay because okay. actually, if you don't mind, just give us, when you get a chance, one specific example, right? That one that just really just hits you deep, right? It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever example you want to give. <sighs> Because the goal is to be able to take what you're saying, right, in more of a practical form mm -hmm. to say, hey, there's somebody out here who's experiencing or experienced something very similar to say, hey, you know what? If you're in film or whatever industry you're oh. in and this happens to you, this happens to me and this is how I pull myself out of it. What would I say? I don't know. I had like a couple different challenges. Like on, on the film side of things for me, and I don't know if I'm answering this correctly, but I'll just talk. No, that's okay. So... On the film side of things for me, a lot of times that was like my my safe haven. Okay. So I would lock myself in. But the thing for me is <clears throat> when I say self-sabotage yeah. is keep putting myself back in situations that I know is going to be extremely hard to climb out of. Okay. So I had a baby at 18. Mm -hmm. Then I have another one at 21. Gotcha. Then I have another one at 25. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are you doing, bro? Right. Like. Like, you didn't remember it was hard the first time or the second time. Right. Or the third time. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, you repeat these cycles because there's, there's, um, trauma or lack of or these emotional things. So that's why I go back to self, um, self sabotaging, like, or trying to overcome the lack. Okay. When you're battling the success or trying to overcome imposter syndrome, knowing that you fit in this room, that you're talented enough to be in this space. Mm -hmm. But then you have all this life stuff that doesn't match the life stuff in the space that you're walking into gotcha. and learning how to own your truth right. in an environment that m most likely doesn't accept your truth mm -hmm. only because they don't talk about their truth. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. okay. So that was one of my biggest challenges. So I'm glad you mentioned that, right? So you're in this space where obviously you're winning Emmys and you're being nominated and you're being pulled into different rooms that you've never been in before and you have children and you're younger. What did you do to set yourself apart from everybody else knowing that you probably had someone that came in who's either fresh out of college oh my or God. did things, quote unquote, the correct way? Oh, my God. How did you set yourself apart from them? Oh, my God. Bro. <laughs> Failure was all over everything. There was not setting myself apart. It was the same thing as I did before. You know, 
I didn't learn how to play basketball in a gym. I learned how to play it on a crate Ooh. in dirt. Okay. So I just remembered that. Like, life's going to be ugly sometimes, man. Situations are going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. I remember when I used to dunk. I would get these scrapes on my wrist. Mm-hmm. Life is messy, bro. Right. Life is messy. Sometimes you're going to have scrapes and bruises, but mm-hmm. they're for a reason to remind you. Right. So when I was in those spaces, I just knew one thing. I knew how to work hard. If there's one, I might not have a degree. I might not know the verbiage, but I can outread you and I can outwork you. And, um, and I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm. So I would just I would just sit and I would I would work. I would work. I would work. I would work. And I wish it was some magical thing, but I just outwork people. Right. So when it came to like stand up to date on trends, right? You have people who think just because you go to school and get a degree, you know, I have all of the knowledge. No, don't get me wrong. It's not knocking anyone that went to school for it or anything like that. But obviously, you took a different route, right? Where you had to learn literally everything hands-on, mm-hmm. doing extra work, putting in extra time. So how did you continue to stay current with all of the trends in the film industry, different cameras, lighting, all that stuff? Because I know how to take a back seat. See, the, most, the biggest problem with the most people that I run into, and hopefully I do offend a lot of people because I'm <laughs> going to say this to offend you, you need to become better listeners. Uh-huh. And you need to learn how to learn from someone else. Right. Even if you feel like you're more talented yeah. or you have more than them or they're beneath you or something. You just need to learn from other people. Learn to become a fly on the wall. Even when I won an Emmy mm-hmm. and I transitioned into film, mm-hmm. I started getting people's water again. Mm-hmm. I started parking cars. I started doing the small things. Even though I know how to run a camera. I went to every department. I respected that department. I respected the people who were in authority, um, authority over me. And those are some of those key elements that got me to where I'm going. So I carefully learn. So when I run my set, I can tell you how long it takes to get lunch, what time you need to leave. I know how to be forgiven. And all these new people are coming in. I know how to light. I know how to grip. I know how to run audio. I know how to do all of it because I took time to learn everybody's department. So when I run my sets, they love me as a director because I know how to run and make the air feel amazing in high pressure situations because I took time to learn my craft. And sometimes we just don't do that. Everybody wants to rush. I'm a director. No, you're not, bro. Right. You're not because you don't even understand what it is. Well, I'm the one who got the movie. No, a director is a person who sets the tone for the room. He builds relationships with everybody so that they can have a better understanding of what they want. And he'll run through a brick wall for you. So when did, when did you hit that point? When did, when did it finally settle in? Like, I'm not just a videographer. I'm a director. <sighs> I didn't. So I went from a videographer to what we call a storyteller, which is a cinematographer. Okay. So I feel like I'm one of the best shooters ever. Like, okay. I was told that. Um, I do. I think I have a gift for filming. Okay. I just do. I do. Um, and because um, it just comes so natural to me. Yeah. It just does. Like, and I love telling stories and I can read a room and, you know, you've seen some of the stuff I just shoot on my cell phone. Like amazing stuff. And I just be like, like, I just feel like I have a gift for it. Right. And um, one of my best friends now, his name's Paul Wright, the third. I always yeah. tell people, always have someone in your room that's a 
that that knows how to be a leader and a cheerleader for you. Exactly. So while I was around him, I would walk in these rooms all the time and he would be like, oh, this is Denell Phipps. He's a director. Mm. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I film. He's like, this is Denell Phipps. Yeah. He's a director. Mm-hmm. And um, to the point where, you know, he helped me understand, like, it's time to go up another level. You have the tools. You have the ability. When was this? <sighs> it's a couple years ago. Okay. And still at the same time, I was saying I was a cinematographer. But now I introduce myself as a director, cinematographer, content creator. So even with all of the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Pasta syndrome is a real thing, bro. Wow, man. Yep. And you get in rooms, right? Like, like uh, <sighs> mentorship, man. And that's probably why God gave me this as a very first book. Mm-hmm. Because mentorship is probably the most important thing you can do for yourself in life and career. Right. You need a mentor in activities that you love. Mm-hmm. So if you like going to a sporting game or something like that, you need a mentor in that. Mm-hmm. Because they can tell you what ballparks to go to, what basketball games to see. They can tell you all this historian stuff. And you can just really enjoy it. And you can see what yourself looks like 60 years from now in something that you just love. Right. You need one in your marriage. Mm-hmm. You need one in friendship. You can put those um, both in the same and you need one in your career mm-hmm. and you need one for life stuff right like someone you can confide in like mentors are so important right so even having someone over me who looks at me as an equal mm-hmm. and i still treat him some days with respect because he's older than me right but as a mentor and then sometimes i forget i'm like no no, no you're my best friend <laughs> but <laughs> what do you think it is right. like right and he's the one who kept telling me like no dude this is you Right. This is you. This is you. You can do this. He's the one put me in the rooms with all these big people and uh, gave me my first opportunity for a national artist. And um, yeah, and always tells me like I remember when um, I was going off on my own for the first time in 2018 and I was kind of holding on, to you know, more for sure things. And he was just like, look, you're going to be fine. You sure? When you say holding on, what were you holding on to? You know, we all hold on security a little bit. Okay. You know, I've always dibby-dabbed a little in my career and gotcha. all that other stuff. But, right. you know, you want to hold on a little bit to, to security, like, you know, like the world tries to teach you. Yeah. But, um, but no, he was like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I was. Okay. So, at this point, you were working at, working a job? Yes and no. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, because I had a contract. That would renew. So I had a contract with a university. I taught there, and I also handled all of their um Hold on. You just kind of slid that in there, right? We, we didn't talk about the university part. So you worked at a university. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I had a contract to handle all their marketing stuff, and I was okay. a professor there okay. or, or an instructor or whatever you want to call it. I don't have a degree or a tenure, right. but it was at Miami University, a uh, prestigious school in Oxford, Ohio. Right. And, um, yeah, I got an opportunity to teach there for three years, okay. um, which was crazy and amazing. I loved it. And, um, you know, because I'm an expert in my field, right. apparently. Right. And <laughs> And then um, I also got an opportunity to create all their content, won a lot of awards. We did some really cool stuff. We kind of set the bar for what um, education should look like. Okay. So you talk about imposter syndrome, right? And this is something that's valuable for me as well. Mm-hmm. With, with both of us coming from the streets of, of Saginaw, right? Mm-hmm. The things that we were involved in, mm-hmm. the things that we did, not going to school, having kids at an early age, 
how did you navigate all of these rooms with all of these big name people? You st- obviously you're still doing it to this day because you're used Bro. to it. But how did you make it years ago? <sighs> Not knowing what to say and probably how to sit, how to dress, whatever. How did you navigate that? Yeah, I was. I was when I started first filming. I was wearing Mecca, Averex, and Triple Five Soul, bro, with some Tim's on. Right. <laughs> I remember that. Yep, I was filming and all that, and I was probably a hundred and eighteen pounds with Triple X clothes on. Right, right. <laughs> um, man. Some days, man, I sit back, especially on my long rides. Mm -hmm. I think that when you're in an unfamiliar place, for me what happened was is I always figured out a way to adapt. Mm -hmm. But I did it very slow. I never walked into a new season of my life fast. Okay. I always walk into it slow Mm because I don't want to miss a step. So every time I go into a new environment, I try to latch on to something that's good and something that I can learn. So if I always have something to hold on to, when that room becomes very, very scary, Mm -hmm. I'm still holding on. So break that down for us, because I actually like that. So you said something new. Mm-hmm. And something basically you're familiar with, right? Yeah. So basically, if there's something new in the room, it makes you excited. Right. It's something exciting. Right. So you're like, man, I want to be a part of that. Okay. And then, but you still hold on to something that you're that you're familiar to. Okay. That way, when you don't feel like you're you're good in this area, uh-huh. you're still doing well over here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then there's things about you, man, that you can always recall on, like your prior knowledge about. Um, You know, just getting to know yourself. Success is scary. Mm -hmm. Success is very hard. And um, success is challenging. Right. And um, But you have to keep pulling off that next layer. I remember when I used to run suicides, you know, my goal was always always to be the first. Mm -hmm. I didn't worry about being tired. I always wanted to be first. Right. When I ran track, I just wanted to be first. I didn't worry about how to get to be first. Mm -hmm. That's what happens sometimes. We worry about the point of where how challenging is going to be to get to be first mm. instead of just always focusing on what's first and enjoying the zigzag because life is a zigzag your career is going to be a zigzag success is going to be a zigzag so while i'm in these new rooms and these new spaces i fall in love with the zigzag mm. okay because there's never going to be a straight path Right. And nobody's ever going to have the same story. And when you realize that, you're good. Right. And the rejection is going to hurt and things are going to hurt. But you always have something you're going to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And then something like, man, but I got to I gotta know. Right. right. Like, like for me, I've always been a person that just has to know. Mm-hmm. Like, can I do this? Right. Can I? Like, like that's cool. But I really want to know about this thing over here. Right. So, um, quick story, you know, I was staring at two kids and I got this phenomenal opportunity and I was broke, broke, Mm -hmm. like there's broke. And then there was what I was, (laughs) I was broke, broke. Okay. And, um, I just remember leaving Michigan and getting down to Columbus, Ohio Mm -hmm. and coming up right before I left, I did this shoot with uh, George Bush. George Bush was coming into Michigan. President George Bush, sorry. Uh, President George Bush, GW, was coming in. And um, 
you know, I had to film with him and it was all these networks there, all these TV people. And they were like, man, you're really good at what you do. And he was like, so uh, where you work at? What are you doing? And this is when Detroit was like market 10 and it was a great paying job and it was just a phenomenal career choice. I was like, well, I just accepted this job in Columbus. Ohio. I was like, how the heck we lose you to Columbus, Ohio? I need you to come up here. So um, Channel 4 in Detroit actually hired me. Mm-hmm. while I was still working in Columbus as well. Okay. So on the weekends, I would leave Columbus at Friday at like 6 o'clock, mm-hmm. and I would drive all the way to Detroit, which is three, three and a half hours. And I would sleep at my uncle's house in uh, South Hill, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then I would go into work at 6 a.m. Wow. in Detroit, uh-huh. and I would work all day. Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, do that Saturday. And then Sunday I would leave, and I would leave Detroit at, three in the morning and i would drive all the way back to columbus mm. i would sleep in the parking lot at at, at abc mm. and um i would work wow and uh i work all day i did that for a year or so okay. and i just remember they were like look i get it you're going back and forth we get it we love it mm-hmm. we want to offer you a position here and they're all union and i think within a couple years something like that i can't remember but uh, I would attack. I would have had made ninety five thousand a year at like twenty four years old. Now, mind you, twenty four making that kind of money ninety five thousand, bro, and like two thousand four. So Man. that was cake. Shoot, at that age, you're a millionaire. What? <laughs> I'd have had that five point <laughs> with them triple gold D's. <laughs> so um, what happened was, is um, <clears throat> I turned it down. And I turned it down because that's what I didn't see for my life. And what happened was is so many times as people, we go to the shiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of continuing the path of where we really see our lives. And um, it's almost like a dog. A dog is running and then you show him something shiny. He comes right back and he gets off the path. Exactly. And how many times do you want to keep jumping off the path? Yeah. So you asked me earlier, I don't want to ever jump off the path because I got to know. Yeah. I have to know. I already know that I could stop what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. never film anything else again, mm-hmm. and to the world, they would consider me successful. Right. To my kids, they would consider me successful. Mm-hmm. If you Google me, you would consider me successful. Right. But to myself... I have a bigger purpose Mm -hmm. and I got all this stuff in my head. And the only way to get there is I got to keep fighting. So what was that purpose at 24, 24 years old, they dangle $95,000 in front of you had to be a serious purpose for you to turn that down. I had to go do movies. Wow. Yeah. I was always on a path of movies. I've always been on that path. So you turned that down, but you stayed at ABC. Yeah. And made 32,000 a year struggling. Wow. Three kids. I think I had to pay two thirty five a month for each kid. Child support. Man, bro. Gross man. So why not like why not just leave ABC and go to the other the other place? Because I knew the money would be a block. Ah. Uh, I would okay. never I have this saying. It's called I would never sell my soul to the paycheck. Mm, okay. That makes sense. Yep. Okay. So if you're talking to somebody right now, 2023, 24, that's looking to take the same path that you took or a similar path, right? Mm-hmm. They want to go into film. What would you recommend? Not having babies. <laughs> Definitely that. No babies. No babies. <laughs> a little harder. 
Right? Because I mean, right now, like the whole terrain has changed. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I look like a genius now. I remember in 1993, like I said, I can talk to you all day, but I just remember in 1993 being like, I'm going to pick up this camera. Yeah. By 1999, I had a baby on the way, and um, General Motors was like right across the street, and everybody kept telling me I need to go work in the plant, go mm-hmm. work in the plant. Now in 2022, I look like a genius, bro. I'm 20. 27 years now or something like that. Right. Only 42 with experience in television and film. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I picked like the perfect career. Yeah, that's true. Everything is video. Everything is video. Right. So to the young Dinell out there who's like, hey, I want to get into film. Where do I start? Where do I go? What's my first step? Walk me through it. Um, you have a cell phone. Go figure out who you are in this industry first okay figure out if you love it film everything film everything with your phone you have these outlets and you have permission Mm -hmm. we didn't have permission back then in order for me to film i had to figure out a forty-two thousand dollar news camera or i had to go beg somebody for theirs like it was not possible it's about the big bulky one exactly your shoulder yep (laughs) Yep. but now you have it you have something in your pocket Mm -hmm. so Go figure out who you are in this industry. Go figure out just who you are. What is your truth as an artist? And don't worry so much about all the other stuff. Those are milestones, and it's really cool. It's cool to have trophies and all that stuff, and um, it's commendable and all that good stuff. But just find out who your art is. And when you go back to me, like, why well, don't sell my soul to the paycheck is because that's not my true art. Mm-hmm. My true art is to to really push this faith-based and inspirational film to heights that um, we haven't seen to create with people and artists out there that want to help people life-changing work you know we only get one shot at this thing mm-hmm. that's it i get one shot right i'm telling you um what am i going to do with it am i going to collect more stuff or am i going to go into legendary mode legacy mode and really help people and uh, that's what i see for myself and along the way there's going to be some bumps and some bruises but i'm going to help some people and um and help myself as well okay so in terms of like trends, right, new equipment, all of these, it seems like something's always changing, right? Mm-hmm. For example, I'll post content and I'm using the caption that's in the app, right? Exactly. And then I see, oh, somebody else, they come out, come out with new caption and emojis and all. So it's like, okay, man, now I got to learn something new. So how do you stay current on all of this tech in your, in your industry? Because one thing never changes. Can you tell a story? Uh, the equipment's always going to change. Okay. But the truth is, still know how to tell a story. Right. And that's what's being lost in a lot of people's work. Okay. They don't know how to tell a story because it's too much technology. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. But the way I do do it, um, stay up with the trends is you got to read. I right. read about four hours every day. Okay. What do you read? Um, I pick and choose, okay. right? Like, you know, I kind of make sure I read sports because mm-hmm. that's my safe haven. Okay. You know, that's how I kind of check out unless it's about Michigan football. Like, bro. <laughs> All right, I'm back. <laughs> um, but other stuff, you know, I kind of read. I kind of read about that. You know, I read my Bible mm-hmm. every day. Um, make sure I get through that, and then I kind of read things I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and I'll get lost in that. And I do my best to do that every day. You got this device in your pocket. Don't always scroll, bro. Like I have 500 tabs open, 
in one side so i had to open up the private side mm-hmm. and i got like 400 in there open because i'm like oh i'm gonna go back to that i can't close it right, right. <laughs> i do the same yeah and it's just like it's like because you have to be a, a constant learner right and if you see something and i like figuring things out one thing i didn't share with you is i used to want to be an electronic engineer never knew that yeah but i wanted to be an electronic engineer and that kind of kind of got my chance to kind of work on that right. um, for a very small period of time. But I found out that technology meets creativity in broadcast film. Gotcha. So, you know, cause we're building sets, we're me- we're touching equipment all the time where it's challenging, you know, you're troubleshooting stuff, you're fixing stuff, you know, I fly drones. I like just some of everything. So I got that same little, you know, um, from technology, from wanting to be an electronic engineer. Right. But that didn't feed my creative side. Now my creative side, now I can join the two. Uh, how yep. do I know you over, for over 30 years and not know that? Because back then it wasn't cool to be smart. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know who I was. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, let's take it more of like the personal route, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, with so much going on, so much activity, right? So many different goals. How do you balance all of that in your personal life? Time with your kids and whoever else that's special to you. Well, I would tell you it's hard, right? Like just recently went through a divorce um, two years ago um, because sometimes balance wasn't there. But I don't think in this life there will ever be balance. I think there's just seasons in your life where there's opportunities to spend more time. So when you have that time, use it. Mm-hmm. And then there's other seasons of your life where it's just building transition season. And hopefully the person you're with understands that. Okay. Or you're taking them with you. Um, the one thing I do get to do now is that I do make I make time. I make things because I'm older now. Right. I've slowed down. Like I don't chase as fast as I used to chase. Right. Like I'm learning like this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's OK if things take an extra day or two to be perfected. Mm-hmm. It's OK. Right. It's OK. Mm-hmm. It's OK. Like, bro, <laughs> it's OK. And the other thing I'm Slow learning down. to go back to what you were saying is that I was on a plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were coming back from L.A. Okay. And I was sitting there editing some photos. And um, this lady I was sitting next to was uh, looking at my work. And she was like, wow, you're pretty good at what you do. I'm like, yeah, you know, one day, you know, me, I'm going to be film director, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she was like, you want to be a what? You want to be a film director, you know, man, you know, I want to get back. I want to win best picture, man. I want to be the first, blah, blah, blah. And she was like. Okay. She said, I see it. She said, how old are you? And I told her, and she was like, you're a baby. I said, I'm what? How old were you then? Probably 28. Okay. Maybe 32. Uh I don't know, bro. The years get mixed together. (laughs) But um, she told me you're a baby. And I said, I looked at her because I felt at that point I lived so much life. Mm -hmm. Um, Three kids in, you know. Life lifed <laughs> and, um, you know, dealing with broken home stuff growing up, just a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. You feel like, OK, I got to run this race because I lost so much time. And she told me, she said, just be patient. She said, by the time you're 40, the rooms you're trying to get in now, all your friends are going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't understand it. But now that I'm 40, 42. Mm-hmm. I look around, one of my best friends is lead anchor on NBA TV. People I work with is now heads of like Universal and Motown Gospel. People, man, I could keep going and going. And I'm like, like one of my girl I work with years ago, her name's AJ Ross. And mm-hmm. um, I work with her um, here 
in Columbus okay. at, um, at ABC News, and we kicked it, talked for a while, and just really so talented. She would kept telling me, I want to be on sports, I want to be on sports. And now she's working for the NFL and CBS. Oh, yeah, she's doing her thing. Nice. So all these people where we were <sighs> grunting and grinding, mm-hmm. yeah, we everybody's in charge now. Okay. So it's so much easier to get into the, um, the rooms and just all that. So for all those people out there that are aspiring, just be patient. But you have to know what your art is going to bring to the world. Exactly. You have to know where your art is going to be placed Mm -hmm. and never do it for the money. Exactly. Okay. So I have to ask. Yes. Obviously, I told you earlier, I love the T-shirt, right? Oh, man, bro. (laughs) So from what we talked about, it's Little D. So you got a whole lineup in in terms of your brand. Let's talk about that. Oh, man. So um, the adventures of Little D and his quest to be more has just been a gift to me. It was one that I didn't ask for. I think the vertical took care of that. If you guys don't know what the vertical is, it's when your life gets aligned properly with the man upstairs and then all this other stuff starts coming out, your true purpose. So if you're wondering why you're stuck or sometimes you're wondering why you can't figure things out, all that things is because your vertical is crooked. Mm -hmm. So if you take care of your vertical, everything else will start coming out and you'll start seeing all these ideas, this creativity. So the adventures of Little D and his quest to be more, the most important thing in that book is called, for me in that title is called Be More. And what I'm pushing um, kids to do and people in general is just to be more of who you are inside. Don't be anything else. Just be more of who you are. And then when you realize that and you see all your imperfections, you'll start realizing that your imperfections are actually your perfection. And the things that are imperfect about you is actually what makes you perfect. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, man, you know, I heard every gap joke in the <laughs> world, bro. It was like, oh, my I, what? I know about it because <laughs> the nose joke. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it made me feel less there. But as I got older, it's been one of actually one of my best qualities. Okay. And um, something that has become one of my trademarks and something that I should be excited about. So I made sure that in the book that the imperfections of us and the things that people don't or people want to point out. It's all in the illustration. So Little D has a gap. The people in the book have darker skin, whiter skin. The clothes aren't perfect. Things are loose because we're people and everybody is imperfect. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect look. Some are attracted to this. Some are attracted to that. That's all it is. Exactly. So when we go into that, when we think about that, the adventures of Little D and his quest to be more is all about pushing people to be more. So from ages five to nine, I really want to grab a hold to those kids while they're still oozing and they want to gravitate to all this new knowledge and figure out who they are. And their imagination is running wild. So what's going to happen is, is that I created all these illustrations and all these different um, characters that are based off of Little D to push people to know that they can be anything. Mm -hmm. So this um, I have this new line coming out and it's called Be the First, which I'm encouraging kids to be the first at whatever they want to be. They can be the first to go to college. They can be the first to graduate. They can be the first doctor. They can be the first firefighter, the first police officer. So we have a... um, Line is called Be the First, mm-hmm. and there's puzzles, book bags, um, shirts, hoodies, just some of everything. And um, I'm really excited about it. It's something that um, I didn't ask for, but I truly believe God gave to me. Okay. And um, it's something that I think we'll all be excited about. The book doesn't stop with just one. It's going to be translated in Spanish as well for those um, bilingual people or others, um, other countries who are looking to get books and hear that 
amazing, powerful story of mentorship for their kids. Book, um, the book can be found in 30 different retailers right now. So um, you can just Google it, find it, whatever your favorite retailer is, Barnes & Noble, Books, um, Half Price Book, Books A Million, Amazon, doesn't matter. You can pick up the book from there. And then the merchandise and all that stuff, if you want to go to littledbooks.com, it'll tell you all about how to find all the merchandise and all that good stuff. Okay. So any other value you want to add? Any other advice you want to give? Oh, dude, I could be here another hour. <laughs> so what I try to tell people now, um, you know, I've get, I've gotten blessed. I would mm -hmm. tell you there's a couple things about having Emmys. They allow you to walk indoors and people listen. Mm -hmm. So if there's something I could tell someone out there and it's really, really important is that how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. How you do one thing is how you do everything. If I can't trust you to sweep the floor, I can't trust you to carry my camera. Exactly. How you do one thing is how you do everything. The discipline you create in something that you do on your right side of you is the same discipline that is required on the left side of you. Mm -hmm. um, those things are important, man. And um, building those disciplines early. If you don't work hard when you're young, you're not going to work hard when you're old. You're just going to have a hard life. And that's just the truth. I've lived long enough. Um, you are your biggest become your biggest critic if you're not happy with your life why do you think someone else would be right that's true and it's so easy to get out of what you're in because you just need to become more of you the moment you decide to become more of you you will change your entire life yeah i i can attest to that for sure yeah man and it's, these are just small <clears throat> things that i learned early some i fell in fell into some i didn't know right like um, we all have all these gifts and um, the moment we decide that we only want to focus on our gift mm -hmm. is the moment you're going to start seeing a lot of things in you um, that you didn't know. Right. You know, I wanted to be a hooper and I was good. Like I hung out with the basketball players. I know them. I still know them now. I know NBA players like I was with Jason Richardson yesterday, like mm -hmm. who played with the Golden State Warriors. Um, a good friend. I can go through my go through my phone book. I know all of the hoopers. Right. <laughs> but God made me a filmmaker. Mm hmm. Okay. And the moment I did that, it changed my life. Yeah. Don't sit in your talent season too long. Your talent season and your purpose season are two different things. When you sit in that talent season too long, you get lost in it. And I don't want to knock anybody who wants to be a musician or anybody who wants to be an artist or anybody who wants to be a lawyer or anybody who wants to do this. Um, just figure out who you are, man. Mm -hmm. and, and the money will come. And if it doesn't, you're still loving what you do. Exactly. And maybe you weren't meant to be a millionaire. So stop dreaming about being a millionaire <laughs> because you're wasting your time on not having your real life because the people you're supposed to reach are not in that gated community. Exactly. They're just not. That's very true. They're somewhere else. So just become more of you, man. I see so many people out here that are living these fulfilled lives and their car don't start tomorrow. Right. But they're living the greatest life that God placed them on. And they changed so many people's lives along the way. Right. You know, I was watching this uh, documentary on Sunday. It was called uh, After Death. Mm -hmm. And the one thing they said when they went to heaven and came back mm -hmm. um, or they had a near-death experience is that they found out that when they come back here, the most important thing in this world is to love. So your purpose and what you do in this world should always be tied to love. Okay. 
And if you find the love, not only for that career choice, but if you find the love in the work and the work is attached to love to the person or the people and how they're supposed to identify with it, you're going to leave happy regardless of what that paycheck is. So one last thing, if you had to think of one question that we should ask the next guest, what would that question be? Outside of their why? Yeah. Man, I always ask people to find their why. Find their why? That's the biggest thing. Like, like for me, um, you know, and I, I didn't even say this earlier, but I'll, I'll just go through a list of stuff I've done. I've seen all, but at this point, eight states mm -hmm. for free. Okay. Like, I filmed. Um, I was there with Obama. I was there with George Bush. I was there with John Kerry. You know, I, I was there when Kobe, Shaq, Carl Malone, Gary Payton, NBA Finals, when they lost to Detroit Pistons, I was there. I was there at Super Bowls. I was there BCS Championship Games. I was there. Man, I was there with all this stuff. But um, if you don't know your why, mm -hmm. of why you're doing it, then none of it matters. Right. <laughs> That's true. So if you have another guest who sits in his seat mm -hmm. and, you know, they can rattle off, well, I made... 100,000 last year. Mm -hmm. But why? Mm -hmm. Why? If there's purpose behind it. There you go, bro. All right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Obviously, again, knowing each other over 30 years, probably longer than that. Fourth grade. Right. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Whatever that is, we owe it now, man. <laughs> man you we, can do the math for we, us. We can sit here and talk forever. But, man, I appreciate you, one, coming on the podcast, mm -hmm. being vulnerable, telling your story, man. Of because. I really felt like your story was really special to really dive deep into you starting this journey at 13 yeah. and to see where you are right now is amazing, man. And, and it will inspire a lot of people out there who are there right now thinking that they can't make mm -hmm. it. They're, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome, all of that stuff, man. So thank you for sharing. Your yeah, story. you're welcome. I'll say one last thing if that's yeah. okay. No, go for it. <sighs> Stay consistent. And I think that when trouble hits, just always go back to just staying consistent. Do what you know is the right thing to do, and it'll all work itself out. Um, I know for me with, you know, having to deal with emotional pain from, from, from family, having to deal with self-inflicted pain that I put on myself, from feeling lack of, less than in rooms, all this stuff, man. I just stay consistent. And that consistency opened up doors mm -hmm. and um, you learn stuff about yourself in the movie pursuit of happiness. The whole movie wasn't about him becoming a broker. The whole movie was about finding that moment in life where you can be happy for a moment. Mm -hmm. And what that moment was is that he had a little bit of success to help him keep going. And I think that these are what the Emmy wins were for me. Um, some of the book sales, some of the people I get to meet along the way. This podcast is a win for me to being able to share because that's what I'm really supposed to do. Whether I'm speaking to a million, a thousand or two. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's all about how do we put what we've taken in and, and putting that into someone else. And the biggest thing is just stay consistent, man. Whatever you're trying to do, if you're cutting grass do it consistently. Mm -hmm. Find your thing and just keep working that thing, man, until just keep working it. It's going to hit right. eventually. And challenge yourself to become more professional. Challenge yourself to get outside your box. Be on time. Okay. 
I'll definitely take that. Great clothes. There's nothing else to add to that but this. Make sure you support, grab the book, grab the merchandise. All of the information will be down in the description notes. But hey, I want to thank you for joining Let's Evolve for Tomorrow podcast, where we inspire aspiring new and existing entrepreneurs to get to the next level by inviting other new aspiring new and existing entrepreneurs to the podcast where they can give knowledge, gems, and golden nuggets on how to get to the next level. We'll see you next time.